Ephesians 4, and we'll be reading just the first 16 verses of this chapter. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnal to page 865 in the back section. Page 865, this is the Belgic Confession. This morning we're going to read uh, both articles 27 and 28. Our focus will be on 28, but we're going to read 27 as well. Reading from page 865, article 27, entitled The Holy Catholic Church. We believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers, awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end 
as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal king who cannot be without subjects. And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time it may appear very small in the eyes of men, as though it were snuffed out. For example, during the very dangerous time of Ahab, the Lord preserved for himself 7,000 men who did not bend their knees to Baal. And so this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons, but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit, by the power of faith. Article 27, the obligation of church members. We believe that since this holy assembly and congregation is the gathering of those who are saved, and there is no salvation apart from it, no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, regardless of his status or condition. But all people are obliged to join and unite with it keeping the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, by bending their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and by serving to build up one another according to the gifts God has given them as members of each other in the same body. And to preserve this unity more effectively, it is the duty of all believers according to God's word to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church in order to join this assembly wherever God has established it, even if civil authorities and royal decrees forbid and death and physical punishment result. And so, all who withdraw from the church or do not join it act contrary to God's ordinance. This is our confession of faith. Well, last week in our study of the Word of God, as it's summarized for us in the Belgic Confession, we entered that last largest section in the Confession, uh, the section on the church. And we looked last week at Article 27 and that picture of the glorious body of Christ, that it is one church, it is a holy church, it is a Catholic church of all times and all places. And it's to this church that we belong as members of Jesus Christ. This morning, we focus more on that membership in Article 28. What does it mean to be a member of Christ's holy church? What obligations do we have as members of His church? And that is the same thing that Paul is addressing in Ephesians chapter 4. What does it mean to belong to the body of Christ? So we will look at Ephesians chapter 4 this morning to find our obligations as members of one body. We remind ourselves at the very beginning that the church, the church is not simply a voluntary organization made by men. Now maybe some of you belong to some civic clubs and those are fine things to belong to, but they are voluntary organizations made by men. The church is not that way. The church is those who are called by Christ himself. 
He is the king and head of his church. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism in this holy church. It is a church of which Christ is the head. Again from our text, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. We are to grow up into Christ the head. Jesus Christ is the king and head of his church. That glorious body is the glorious body of Christ. Now, there are many manifestations of that church. We're talking about Christ being the head of those whom he knows, the invisible church. And there are many manifestations of that invisible church, the visible church. And Christ is also king over the visible church. The, the visible church is the, is the external manifestation of a spiritual reality that Christ is king over his people. Christ is the head of that glorious body. Christ is the head of the visible church as well. It is one church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, baptism all under the lordship, the headship, the kingship of Jesus Christ. One Lord. One faith, one baptism. There are not many ways to God. There are not many options from which you can choose. If, if Jesus works for you, that's fine, but I have my own Savior who I will follow. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It is in Christ alone that we are members of that glorious body of Christ. And so it is, it is Christ again who this morning calls you to place your faith and your trust in Him alone. Not pick your Savior, pick your God. All roads lead to heaven. One Lord, one faith, one baptism under the headship of Jesus Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him and be brought into that glorious body of Christ. And it is because there is one Lord, because there is one people of God, that the, that the confession uh, speaks very boldly. When in Article 28 we read this, We believe that since this holy assembly and congregation is the gathering of those who are saved, and there is no salvation apart from it. No one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, regardless of his status or condition. There is no salvation apart from the church. 
That's what our confession teaches. Of course, when it says that, it's talking about no salvation outside of that, that true church, that invisible church known by God. It, it, it is addressing a concern of the day. It's addressing a concern uh, of the Roman Catholic Church, which said there is no salvation outside of this visible church. The Roman Catholic Church said outside of this visible church, there is no salvation. The confession says no. It is that invisible church. There may be many manifestations, but outside of the, visible, the invisible church, there is no salvation. No, no one church may claim to be the only true church. No one denomination, no one federation, Christ's church is great and grand and glorious and includes all of His people who are therein. To say that, that we are the only true church is sectarian. It is to cut ourselves off. No, we, we, we join with all of God's people under Christ's headship, under His kingship, and we submit to Him. That's the beauty of, of belonging to the church. We're not saying there's only one out there or only one denomination or one federation, but all who embrace this one Lord, this one faith, this one baptism are brought in to the people of God. And it is to that invisible church that we are obliged to embrace what God has given to us and because of that join the visible church. Our, our confession says this, no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, <clears throat> regardless of his status or condition. But all people are obliged to join and unite with it, keeping the unity of the church by submitting to its instruction and discipline, bending their necks under the yoke of Christ Jesus. If we belong to the invisible church, if that is our claim, then we must also belong to the visible church. Because this is the way Christ has chose to administer his body here on earth. Our obligation to join. And that obligation to join, it's more than just having our name on the roll. It's more than just, just having our name written in a book in the office but it is a willingness to submit to the yoke of Christ. As our confession says, to submit to the instruction and the discipline of the church. Joining the church means a submission to the instruction of the church, the teaching of the church. Uh, now our, our, uh, if you go to any church and ask them, what, what do you believe? Any church worth the name church will say, we believe the Bible. If it doesn't say that, it's not even close to being a church. But the question is, what do you believe about the Bible? What is the teaching of the church with regard to Scripture? And in our church, in Reformed churches, we have confessions, confessional documents like the Belgic Confession, which reflect our understanding of the truth of Scripture. 
And every church has confessions. Perhaps you've been to, perhaps you've been members of churches that say, we have no creed but Christ. Now that's a great slogan. Goes well on a bumper sticker. But it doesn't mean anything. Because as soon as you ask the question, what do you believe about Christ? The answer is a confessional statement. Every church has confessions. If you ask them, what is the nature of the church? The answer is a confessional statement. So while a church may say no creed but Christ, every church has confessions. Every church has a creed. I say in the Reformed churches, we're just very open and honest about it. You want to know what our church believes about the Scriptures? Here, I can hand you a book entitled The Creeds and the Confessions. This is what we believe the truth of the Word of God is. Submitting to the instruction, submitting to the teaching of the church. And of course, to, to submit to the instruction of the church, we have to know the instruction of the church. We have to know what it is. And continue to grow in that knowledge. Look what we read in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head that is Christ. We are to grow up. Grow up in our knowledge of who God is. Grow up in our knowledge of what He has done. Learn more about the teaching, the instruction, the, dis the, 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 the doctrines of the church. And of course, as you know, the primary teaching tool of the church, the now there are many teaching tools, the primary teaching tool in the church comes from the pulpit. The declaration of the gospel, the primary means of grace, that which God uses to grow us in our knowledge of Him and our love for Him. And so, if we, as members of the church, are going to submit to the instruction, if we are to grow in our knowledge, grow up into Christ, then we need to be here when that teaching is done. We need to be here when the elders, with the authority of Christ, call us to come together to submit ourselves to that instruction. And I think we're often so casual about whether we'll do that or not. I just don't feel like coming. It's, it's, it's inconvenient for me to get there. I just don't want to do it. Christ, the head of the church, Christ Himself, through His appointed office bearers, calls you, 
welcomes you to come and spend time with Him. And we casually say, just don't feel like it. Whenever the elders call us in the name of Christ for worship, it should be our joy, it should be our desire, it should be our pleasure to submit ourselves that we might grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, growing up into Him, not being blown to and fro like children, but growing up into Christ Himself. This is the obligation to submit to the instruction of the church, submit to its instruction and our confession says, submit to its discipline. How does what we learn then impact our lives? How do we take the instruction we have received and apply it in our lives? That's the nature of discipline. Are we living consistent with our confession? And again, Christ, Christ has instituted the eldership to help us in that. The elders have been given the authority of Christ to help the church in their walk with Him. A discipline is a very positive thing. It's very positive in that the elders regularly pray for the congregation. And discipline can also be corrective. When we find ourselves living in a way that is out of accord with our confession, out of accord with the Word of God, the elders will in love come and speak with us and encourage us and bring us back to the ways of God. We are called to submit to the discipline of the church. This is one of the blessings of being a member. We have, we have elders who will love us enough to come and call us back to the ways of God. It's like a parent disciplining a child. We don't discipline our children because we don't love them. We discipline because we do love them and want them to grow up. And so with the elders, they come and they lovingly will call us back. And that's why whenever anyone joins our local church, uh, they make a promise, they make a vow that I will submit to the authority of the church. If I should become delinquent in doctrine or in life, I will submit to the eldership. That's not a hardship, that's a blessing. To have someone watch over me that they won't let me stray away. It's a huge blessing to belong to the church of Christ. It's an obligation. And, and our confession says, not only do we submit uh, to its instruction, its discipline, bending our yokes under Christ, and by serving to build up one another according to the gifts God has given us. Part of the obligation in joining the church is building up other people with the gifts God has given. Our text says, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then on to verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. He gave these things to equip the saints for works of ministry, to use our gifts in service to others. 
Notice he, he doesn't say, I gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists to do the work of ministry. doesn't say that. They are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The ministry of the work of the church is not carried on just by the office bearers, but their role is to equip us, to help us be productive, giving members of the body of Christ, to serve other people. You know that that service is countercultural. We live in, a, in, a, in an age where it's all about me and about what I can get, what, what, what suits my needs. And maybe we even think about that if God and his providence takes us somewhere else and we're looking for a new church. One of the most common questions we ask is, will this church meet my needs? There's some legitimacy to that. But I would suggest a better question is, where am I needed? Where can my particular gifts and talents be used to build up this body of Christ? God in his providence has brought me here. How can I serve this church? And in doing so, we echo our Savior. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve. This is the nature of the obligation of those who are part of the church. Our confession finishes. It says this, and to preserve this unity more effectively, it's the duty of all believers, according to God's word, to separate themselves from those who do not belong to the church, to separate themselves from those who do not belong. Now, the confession, as I mentioned earlier, is certainly a product of its time. It is not saying, it is not saying we are to separate ourselves from individuals who don't belong to the church. That's not what the confession means. Individuals who don't belong to the church are the object of our evangelism. <laughs> if we separate them, ourselves from them, they have no hope. No, what it's saying is we are to separate ourselves from those churches which do not submit to the yoke of Christ, which are not part of that one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And again, a reference to false churches. We may not be content to stay in a false church, but rather, our confession goes on, it says after we should, uh, not, not, we should separate ourselves, in order to join this assembly wherever God has established it. Join the assembly. The need to join with an assembly, with a visible church. Church membership is important. We need to separate ourselves from the false church, but then do something about that. Not remain separate. There's a danger in remaining separate from the church. Even if we leave the false church, we are to join the true church. And I think we often make church membership either too big or too small. And we say joining a church is too big. There's too much involved. It's too hard to become a member. It's not. It's very, very easy. Or we make it too small. You know, it's just not worth my time to, to join the local church. Now, if we're looking for a church, we should explore whether this church is the church for us. We should explore the doctrines of the church. And if you are considering joining our church, you should explore the doctrines of the church. But if that's what you're doing, I'd urge you to do that then. 
to read the confessions, to listen to lectures, to, to do some, some study. What is it that Reformed churches believe in, and our church in particular? And if you find that there is nothing in the doctrine that would keep you from joining, uh, we have the preaching of the gospel, we have the proper administration of the sacraments, we have Christian discipline toward repentance, then, then you belong here. You belong joining the local church, not content to be separate, not content to be on your own. Perhaps you've left another church, but, but you need to align yourself once again. There's danger in being on our own. Paul says, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to, work, to, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You've been called as a son, as a daughter of God. You've been called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. You need to be in fellowship with his body. This is what it, what it means to be a member of the church. Submitting ourselves to the Savior who has saved us, who has washed us, who has cleansed us, who has made us his own. Submitting ourselves to his yoke. That's the words the confession uses, the yoke of Christ. By joining his church, being a part of his people, and giving yourself to the instruction and to the discipline of that glorious body of Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you that you have called a people into fellowship with yourself. You have called us out of darkness into light. And you call us, O oh God, to be members of your glorious body to be members in your church, active members, members which use our gifts and talents in the service of others, members who delight to be instructed in the ways of the faith, who are willing to submit to the yoke of Christ as exercised by the eldership. Lord God, these things are not natural for us. We pray that this morning, by the power of your Spirit, you would work in our hearts a greater desire a greater desire to be active members of your congregation, continually heeding the call of the elders when they call on Sunday morning, when they call on Sunday evening, to submit ourselves to the instruction and to use the particular gifts and talents you've given to us to serve you and to serve your people. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 410 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 410, Christian hearts in love united, search to know God's holy will, let his love in us ignited. More and more our spirits fill, Christ the head and we his members. We reflect the light he is, Christ the master, we disciples, he is ours and we are his. We're going to sing all three verses of 410. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm -hmm. 